In this episode of Desert Island Torah, we have the Zuchut of speaking to Shoshana Shakta, Professor and Associate Dean of Torah Studies at Stern College for Women and by Director of the Nechina Program. She is a graduate of Stern College with a Bachelor of Science in both Judaic Studies and English Literature and holds Master's Degrees from Bernard Ravel Graduate School of Jewish Studies and Columbia University School of Journalism. Shoshana is a frequent lecturer on topics in Tanakh and has been involved in Jewish outreach programs on four continents. Thank you so much, Shoshana, for joining us today. It's a real zuchut to have you with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So it's Desert Island Torah, three pieces of Torah that you would take to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why are they so important to you? Really looking forward to finding out and learning with you. So if we jump right in, should we go with your first piece? Okay. This was a tough assignment because (laughs) there are so many um, really amazing uh, parts of learning and mafarshim and texts. And I was trying to figure out what I could use on a desert island because my first thought was, I'm just bringing a computer and then I can have Wayu Torah. That's brilliant. Because that just covers everything. I've had so many students who have, uh, I'm the Associate Dean of Torah at Stern College for Women. And I've had so many students that have been inspired by Torah from Wayu Torah and they just cover everything. But I can't do that because I wouldn't have Wi-Fi. So I figured I would just narrow it down to just a couple sources, um, you know, a couple pieces that I think have really been very formative for me. And that was hard also. And there are a lot of books as well, but I'm going to leave the books out. You know, I was thinking like anything Jonathan Sachs, you know, <laughs> you are you are British, anything to heal a fractured world like. Oh, that's, like, that's my favorite book by Rabbi There you go. Ah. So you should definitely read it. I'm not discussing it now because I, I chose to to um, to focus on like Mepharshim and Tanakh related, but anything Jonathan Sachs and To Heal the Fractured World is um, is also my favorite. And um and 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 you know, again, there there are other, you know, Lonely Man of Faith. I think that's, it's really that's successful. that's my favorite book in the whole world. <laughs> there you go. Wow, we, we didn't plan this. We, we definitely didn't, didn't plan this. And I was thinking, if I'm sitting, if I'm sitting on a desert island, you know, lonely man of faith might be, you know, somewhat applicable. That would be my that would be my first choice if I could oh, think of a desert island. And we didn't even plan this. And then the other one would be Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, because I would meaning I would be sitting on this island trying to figure out how to find meaning in my life, and um. And um, yeah, so so those are my three English books. <laughs> but but in the meantime, I, I really wanted to focus on um, on on some you know some textual sources and some uh, Tanakh sources. So yeah, so so those so now I'm doing six. <laughs> anyway, all right. <laughs> Very so funny. Very so funny. Uh, I'm gonna change your format. You're gonna ask now ask for three, you know, Hebrew and three English. Anyway, okay. So number one, I think would be, um, uh, you know, all, all of these are gonna be Tanakh related, but number one is probably uh, Chumash and Rashi. And I know that sounds very basic and you've probably interviewed tons of people and everyone's trying to find very specific things. And my other two will, you know, are a little more specific, but I think that, um, I think that people don't always appreciate Chumash and Rashi, maybe because when you go through the yeshiva system, 
and doesn't matter what country you're in, um, whether it's England or America or Israel, you know, well, Israel's probably a little bit different because they know the language. But the first thing you're you're going to study, you're going to first, you know, get your Chumash and you're going to start learning Chumash and then you're going to um, introduce Rashi. So people assume, you know, oh, Rashi is like for third graders because that's how you start. There's tremendous depth to Rashi. And not only, and I, I feel very strongly that Rashi is not just a parish, but he teaches us values. Think of think of values that we've learned since we're little. It comes from Rashi, you know, and it's not just um, parshanut or not just, uh, you know, an exegetical approach of methodology, how to analyze an analysis of Tanakh, uh, but it's really, he's teaching us how to behave. He's teaching us values. And I have so many different examples of that, but, you know, even like, like how Hashem creates the world, like Na'ase Adam, teaching us a sensitivity. And, and any one of these Rashi's that I'm quoting, look it up, take my word for it anyway. But um, teaching us sensitivity about things. Think about when you're little and you learn about the argument between Avram and, and Lot and the shepherds of Avram and Lot. Like what are they arguing about? And they're arguing and Rashi brings a medrash where, you know, you wouldn't think it would be, it's, it doesn't really fit um, as shot in the text, but he's teaching us values about what honesty is. There's so many examples of that. But I think, but one of the things that's most compelling, which um, I, I didn't, I have to say, I, I taught for so many years and I didn't realize this until um, somewhat relatively recently. And this might be pashut to some people and it might be not a chiddush, but I, to me it was. Um, I was I was preparing a course in Stern on hakdamot, just introductions to Tanakh and to Chumash. In fact, my next two sources, my next two are going to be hakdamot actually. Um, and... Um, and it bothered me that Rashi didn't have a hakdama. You know, I was doing the hakdama. You look, open up a mikros kadolos, you open up a chumash, and there are so many introductions of the different mafarshim, of the different commentators. And Rashi, who was one of the first people to actually, you know, systematically go through um, analysis of text, he doesn't have an introduction. And, and it's not like he doesn't have what to say. You know, he could tell us about his methodology. He could tell us about why he's doing what he's doing, like the other commentators do. And yet he doesn't do that. And, um, and you know, when when it comes up, he'll tell us, oh, I'm going to go with Pshat, the most uh, literal explanation over the um, um, metaphorical, over Drash. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't say that as, as an introduction. And then it struck me that I think Rashi does have an introduction. And I'm, I'm not going to go through each one, but don't, you should look it up, but I will paraphrase it a little bit. But if you look at the very first Rashi of every single one of the Chamesha Chumshe Torah, they all have the same theme. It's really mind-boggling. Once you see it, you can't unsee it, you know? And, and I can't believe I never thought of this before. The very first Rashi of Sefer Breshid, he talks about, he asks, why, why did the Torah begin with the creation of the world? Why not the first mitzvah, which is Rosh Chodesh, which is in Parshat Bo, in Sefer Shemot? And his answer is because he wants to, because Hashem wants to protect the kavod of B'nai Israel, the Jewish people, and wants to make sure that everyone knows that the first thing that's established is who the creator of the world is, because then if Hashem created the world, then Hashem owns the world. And that means he can give whatever land he wants to whoever he wants to give it to. So he wants to protect B'nai Israel because he loves B'nai Israel. And he wants to make sure that people don't um, accuse them, us, of being of being thieves, that we stole a land that wasn't ours. So we want to establish a you know ownership in order to then be able to justify why Hashem can give a land you know, take the land from someone and give it to someone else. The second, the first Rashi in Sefer Shmo, Rashi asks, why does B'nai, why does Hashem 
Um, why is the list of the Jewish people who came down to me? So I mentioned again, we were they were already counted in the end of Breshi. Why are they counted again? And what we know as part of Rashi's methodology, there's nothing in Davar Miyutar Torah. There's nothing extra in the Torah. Why are they being counted again? Says Rashi, because he loves them. He loves them, and that's why he's counting them again. Sefer Vayikra, I mean, if you're seeing a theme here, it does continue. He talks about why the word Vayikra is used, why does he say Vayomer, why does it have to start with Vayikra? Why is that necessary? Because it says in the next passage, what he said to them, why? And he called. And Rashi says, because he loves B'nai Israel. I mean, if you look at the Mepharshe, and that's why he's using this like eloquent language, Vayikra. If you look at the Mepharshe Rashi, um, they um, elaborate that, you know, Sefer Vayikra is all about holiness and how we can connect to Hashem. So Hashem is starting with some highfalutin, more eloquent language because he loves B'nai Israel and he wants to connect to them. Um, Bamidbar, Rashi asks, why is Moshe counting? There's a census at the beginning of Bamidbar. Hashem tells Moshe to count B'nai Israel. Su at Rosh B'nai Israel. Rashi asks, why are they being counted again? They weren't counted that long ago. Rashi's answer, whatever the chibata now, I don't know if it's the same exact language as, as Shemot, but it's the same answer that he's counting them because he loves them. And then finally, say for Dvarim, I mean, this is a pattern. Finally, say for Dvarim, um, uh, Rashi asks, why? are things alluded to, you know, Moshe is reviewing the Torah with the Israel and he's going back historically a little bit and telling, you know, explaining why they're here, why they're not in Israel yet. They should have been here. This is the generation after Mitzrayim, the whole previous generation has died out. And he's, um, he's telling this generation, the sins of the previous generation and why they're still in the Midbar, why they're still in the desert. Once again, on the threshold of entering Eretz Israel, um, but the next generation. And he says, why is he saying, um, these things he's not, he's just, alluding to things he's not saying things explicitly like remember this place remember this place but he's not talking specifically about the things that happened in all these places says rashi because hashem loves b'nai israel and he's protecting their kavod so i think that's amazing <laughs> i think and maybe people who are hearing this are like oh i knew that i did not <laughs> i never realized this and i believe and you could take this or leave it but i do believe that this was intentional that this is rashi's introduction to torah that I think his message to us is my methodology will come next. When, you know, when it comes up, I'll tell you that I do pshat over drash or that ein mukdam Torah, that there's not necessarily chronological order in the Torah. But at the end of the day, the underlying theme of Torah is Hashem's relationship with the Jewish people. And I think that's what his message to us is. And it's certainly not a coincidence. I don't think. Again, I don't know. I wish I could ask him. But that the first Rashi of every five, every one of the five books of the Torah has to do with that relationship that ultimately this is why we learn. Ultimately, we look at, we're looking to connect to Hashem and that's why we're learning and that's what Rashi wants us to know. And by the way, also, if you look at when Rashi's living at a difficult time in Jewish history during the Crusades and the Inquisition, and he, I think it's also Divrei Nechama for, you know, for the Jewish people. Like whatever it is, there's a lot, stuff happens sometimes and we go through difficult times don't forget god loves you don't forget hashem loves you and i think that that's his message and i would need that if i was stranded on a desert island so i think i would have an opportunity to go through chumash and rashi and really um you know understand the lessons that rashi is teaching us starting of course with the lesson of that you know the relationship that we have with hashem or that and that he has with us that's number one absolutely really really powerful message um and you elaborated it so well um for us to really think about and yeah thank you so much for sharing
and look it up. Look them up. Don't take my word for it. Look them up, all five. <laughs> so are you ready to go to your second piece? Yes, thanks. Okay, so it's funny. I didn't even <laughs> you think I would have realized this, but my next two sources, they're all introductions. That's so funny. I didn't even realize that until we started talking. I think there's something very powerful about introduction. Correct. Always. So Correct. In, that case, in that case. Thank you. Thanks for the Haskama for supporting me on this one. <laughs> like, um, so, so the second, my second source is, um, is the introduction of the Nitziv, Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, to the book of Breshi. It's funny because my third one is the introduction of the Nitziv to the book of Dvarim. So I'm a little bit uh, Nitziv heavy over here, but, um, but I think, but you'll see why. Um, so the introduction of the Nitziv, of Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, the, the great um, 19th century, early 1800s, Rosh Yeshiva, the great Belazhin Yeshiva in Eastern Europe, wrote a parish called Ha'emek Davar, the deep word. And it's a wonderful parish on the Torah. And um, he has an introduction to every sefer. And it's really powerful, each one. And it's funny because of my three favorite, one is Breshin and one is Dvarim, all, all from the Nitziv. And um, the Breshin one, I think, is... Just should be something that like required learning. Like nobody should, you know, graduate from yeshiva high school and not go through this. <laughs> I think it's really important. Um, I actually, I actually learned this the first time. Just to you know, give credit where credit is due. The first time I learned this introduction to Sefer Breshit was with one of my very formative rebbeim in in Michlala, my year in seminary in Michlala, Michlala Yerushalayim. Um, and um, Rev Cooperman, Allah Hashalom, who was the founder um, and director of, of Michlala back in the day. Now his daughter, Devor Rosenwasser, is Rosh Michlala. She's the head of Michlala. But I learned um, Sefer Breshi with, with Rev Cooperman that um, my year in seminary, post high school, and he introduced me to this and the rest of my friends and the rest of my class. And I just, uh, you know, just give credit where credit is. I always think about him when I read this. Um, so, so the the introduction of the of the Nitziv, Just to paraphrase it a little bit, um, the Nitziv, What he does is his mo is that every sefer he gives an introduction to the sefer and he starts by telling us another name for the sefer. You know, because each sefer has many, each book has many different names. So he'll tell us another name for the sefer or several names, and then he'll choose which one he thinks is the, um, the, the, the most meaningful name or the, the one that he wants to discuss and then, and then tells us about the book, you know, based on that name. So what he, so he calls Sefer Breshi Sefer, Sefer Hayashar. Hayashar. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I guess you've seen that, you know, I know it's called Sefer Hayashar, but then it discusses why. We could spend this whole rest of the podcast talking about this, but we won't. But, um, but uh, so what he says is, he says the reason that it's called Sefer Yashar, he says, because it's it's based on this on this ref. He's referencing this um, um, Pasuk where Bilam, who, if you remember, Bilam was the Navi bad guy who was hired by King Balak to curse B'nai Israel. And at the end of the whole ordeal, um, he couldn't do it. And he ended up uh, saying Matovu Ohalecha Yaakov and blessing, you know, praising B'nai Israel after this whole ordeal. And what happens at the end of the ordeal, he says, he makes this comment and he says, Tamut nafshi moti sharim. He says, uh, maybe, you know, he has this moment of clarity where he says, 
wow, I wish I could be more like those Yesharim. Like my end should be like those Yesharim. And the question is, who is he referring to? Says the Nitzvah, "Yesh lahavin hatam lama karabilam etzavotenu b'shem Yisharim biyichud v'lo tzadikim or chasidim v'kadome." And said, and says the Nitzvah, quoting, um, um, I think the Baal Halachot Dolot, Bahag. He says that it's a book of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. That that's then they're called Yesharim, and and Bilam is referencing the Avot, and he's saying, "I wish that I could be more like the those Yesharim, meaning Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov." So then it's asked, "Well, why, why, why is he referring to them as Yesharim? Yesharim means straight, the straight ones. Why Yesharim? It's like a strange." Label why Yesharim and not Sadikim or Hasidim Bekadome and, and you know Sadikim or Hasidim um and you know pious people or righteous people. And not only that, but Lama Mechuna Zeha Sefer Bikinu Yesharim. In other words, why is he referring to them? Two questions. Why is he referring to them as Yesharim? And why is then why are we calling the whole Sefer based on this obscure reference that this Navi, well, I don't want to call him a Navi Sheker. It was a Navi Sheker, but this, you know, Navi who was trying to curse Ben Israel referred to them as Yesharim. Why are we calling the whole Sefer like that? And then Nitziv continues and he says, And Bilam was davening, like we said before, he was davening um, for himself that he should, his end should be like those, you know, people, those Yesharim. And then, so what does that mean, Yesharim? He says, He says, we can have some insight from the Pasuk in Hazinu that talks about Hashem. Moshe is referring to Hashem as Tzadik V'yashar. So this term of of Yashar, being a Yashar, is used by Moshe in reference to Hashem in Parshat Hazinu. So why? And then he continues the Shevach Yashar who Neemar Lahadzik Dina Kadoshbarhu Bahurban Bayitsheni Shayadara Keshu Pitaltel. He said the the um the term Yashar, the pra- you know, why is that so praiseworthy? Because that character trait of Yashrut, of being straight, is what justified, or rather lack of Yashrut, is what justified Hashem's destruction of Yushalayim and the Beis HaMikdash during the second Beit HaMikdash, because it was a very crooked generation. They were not straight. They were crooked. What does it mean they were crooked? Upi Rashnu says that it's if, Shayut Sadikim Chasidim Ve'amalei Torah. But one second, we know there was so much learning going on during the, the second Beit HaMikdash. There were Tzadikim and Chasidim and people who were really learning Torah in depth. Achlo Hayu Yesharim Behalichot Olamim. But they weren't yashar when it came to everyday behavior. It was because of baseless hatred that they had towards each other. They suspected the people that they looked at, that they believed were not behaving in a way that they were showing Yirat Hashem. They were judging them. They were there was tremendous judgmentalism, and they if they weren't again I'm using the word from but from like them or they weren't doing avodat Hashem yirat Hashem the way that they thought they should they would call them tzidukim and apikorsim they would call them heretics uba'u so there was a judgmentalism uba'u damim and and that led to that sinat baseless hatred led to bloodshed. And all this divisiveness. 
and all this all these terrible things um and and which um climaxed in culminated in the destruction of the base amikdash and this is what rationalized, this was what justified this terrible decree of Hashem. Because God is Yashar, he's straight, and he doesn't, look at this language, he doesn't have patience for tzaddikim like this. But rather, tzaddikim who, you know, have a good relationship to God, but mistreat each other. But rather, you know, he has no patience for people, but, you know, for people who are, are not yashar when it comes to how they deal with each other. But he, but he wants tzaddikim to, to be yasharim, that walk in the straight path, also in the ways of the world, also with their interactions with the world. The loba akmimot, and not in a crooked way. This language is unbelievable. Even if it's l'shem shamayim, even if you're fighting the battle of God, if you're doing something crooked, if you're spitting at someone who you feel is not dressed appropriately, like that's not yashrut. That's not, you might be fighting the battle of Hashem. I, I said that part. He doesn't say that. But you might be battle, you might be fighting the battle of Hashem that it's l'shem shamayim, but you're still not acting in a straight way when it comes to derech yashar. Because it causes destruction of the world, destruction of creations and destruction of the world. This was this is what was so praiseworthy about the avot. That even though they were tzadikim and chasidim when it came to relationship with Hashem in a way more than you could imagine, Od hayu yesharim. They were also yashar. They were also straight. Meaning what? Look how they behaved with people of the world. Even people who were who were idol worshippers, who were who were diametrically opposed to everything they stood for. In, nonetheless, even if they were diametrically opposed to everything they stood for, they treated them with love and they wanted what was best for them. And they looked out for their best interest. I'm not going to continue because I can go on and on. But then the rest of the Nitziv goes on with how Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were so such paradigms of this, Yashrut. And he talks about how Avram was, Avram Avinu. I know I said I'm not going to do it. But, you know, about <laughs> the people of Som. Look at the people of Som. They were like the antithesis of Avraham. They were the antithesis of Chesed. And yet Avram's arguing on their behalf because he wanted what was best and because he was hoping they would change. He saw the good in them, even if their actions were horrible. And he was and he despised what they stood for, but they they were Tselem Elohim and he cared about them. And that's why, and then he gives an example about Yitzchak and look how Yitzchak dealt with the Plishtim and look how Yaakov dealt with, with Lavan who didn't deserve, you know, the, 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 the Kavod, the Yashrut that Yaakov dealt with him. And he says, this is Kiyum HaBriya. He says, this is what Sefer Yashar means. It's the book of people who are Yashar. And he says at the end, he says, and that's why, that's why, you know, that at the end of his life, Bilam, who had kochot, he had such capabilities and he chose to use his kochot to curse people. 
And at the end of his ordeal, he had this moment of clarity that he was like, wait, I wish I could be more like those Yesharim and deal, you know, I, I have kochot and they have kochot and they use it to bless people, to bring people up, to protect them, to look out for their best interests. Maybe I should be more like them. By the way, he doesn't do tshuva because then he, it was just a moment of clarity and then he goes bad again. But anyway, but he said, this is why, this is why he screamed this. He says at the end, and it's if, because these, these people, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they are the reasons that the world is, the whole purpose of the world is continued to be fulfilled. The purpose of, 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 of existence of the world is fulfilled. And they keep the world going. Yashras is what keeps the world going. How we deal with each other. How we deal with people who are not like us. Right? The measure of our Yashras is not how we deal with our best friends who are exactly like us. How do we deal with people who are different? How do we deal with them? How do we look at them? How do we, how, do we judge them? Do we treat them with love? And that's why, that's what the Avot were so good at. And that's why this book of creation is called Sefer HaYashar, because this is, this is the reason Hashem created the world. We start with Hashem creating man, but Elohim, recognizing this is what, what uh, Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi, Rabbi Lord Sachs was so good at getting this message across, really understanding and appreciating that Selim Elohim, the image of Hashem in all human beings and how we relate to people. And that's why, this is why he was, he was, he was someone to just be admired and, and looked up to and such a role model. And this is, you know, this day, this is what the Avot, this is, it was a Yashrut. And this is why the book of Breshit is called Sefer Yashar, because this, is the entire fulfillment. It's that Yashrut, which is the fulfillment of the entire creation, which is um, presented in the book of Rishi, which is how the world goes around. Absolutely. So I could go on and on about, about this. Uh, Going back to Rashi, yeah. like why why does the Torah start with Barishit? This is why, because it's about humanity. It's about human behavior. It's about, yeah, you can't get to the Torah. You can't get to the laws until you know how to behave. Right. Right. Um, in fact, in fact, in Sefer Dvarim, Moshe tells, you know, we'll talk about Dvarim in a second, but Moshe tells um, B'nai Israel right after he gives over the Sertah Dibra for the second time. And he says, Vasita yashar Hashem. And there's a whole, you should do the right and just thing in the eyes of God. There's a whole discussion. Is that a mitzvah? Is it not a mitzvah? Is it a specific mitzvah? And, and yes, and it's, you know, what the Mefarshim say there is that, you know, the Torah can't go through every possible scenario that you're going to come across. You know, you're you're in a crowded bus and there's a pregnant woman who walks on the bus who looks like she's about to give birth to quadruplets and she's holding a toddler and she's holding her packages and you're sitting there, you have a seat right in the front and there's no more seats left. Do you have to get up for her? The answer is according to Torah, she's not old. Doesn't tell me I have to get up for this woman. It tells me I have to get up for old people and she's 20, right? Again, there is a mitzvah that tells us vasita yashar Hashem, do the right thing do the thing that's straight do the thing that god wants us to do and yes you do have to get up because we're fulfilling the mitzvah vasita yashar Hashem. so you're right and then there's all discussions about you know if we keeping the letter of the law not the spirit of what's the whole point of torah the point of torah is to spread love and to follow in Hashem's, to live the values that Hashem is giving over to us, to live those core Torah values. And it doesn't just, it's not just lived in our relationship with Hashem within Ben Adam Lamakom. I mean, again, our relationship with Hashem is affected by our relationship with man. 
but it's been Adam Lachavero and it's and it's you know how we live our lives and our everyday dealings, not just how long our Shmonasra is. Okay, I'll absolutely. Stop yeah. Should we go to your last piece? Absolutely. So my last piece is also um actually I was gonna say it's the introduction of to say for Dvarim, but I think I'm gonna just say it's all of Sefer Dvarim. <laughs> I think I'm going to do that. And we'll talk about Sefer Dvarim. And then I'll take a piece from the introduction of the Nitziv to Sefer Dvarim, because he explains why Dvarim is so important. Um, I think Sefer Dvarim is, uh, is, is, is key. And I'm not the only one, because there's a reason that Hashem wanted, you know, Sefer Dvarim to be read by the Melech. The king had to write a Sefer Torah, but the focus of the Sefer Torah that the king wrote, every, every king had to write was Dvarim, and he had to have it on him all the time. And um, every seven years, the year after Shemitah, in fact, this year was a Hakel year. And anybody who was Zohar to be in Eretz Israel during the Chagim, um, maybe you uh, joined Hakel at the Kotel, and there was a whole Hakel ceremony, and we don't have a king now, but um, I think, you know, government members were there, and, um, and, they, and, and, and they read, you know, parts of Dvarim at this Hakel ceremony. So there's something very, very special about Dvarim. Again, not that there's nothing special about the other books, but, um, but say for Dvarim, um, the Nitziv, among other Mafarshim, I mean, most everyone refers, Sefer Dvarim doesn't have as many names as some of the other books. Like Sefer Breshid has a lot of names and Shemot also. But Sefer Dvarim is really called the Mishnah Torah by most everyone. And it's the review of Torah. And the reason that I think this Sefer is so important, first of all, I think this Sefer is most applicable to us um, um, in our day and age. Why? Because Sefer Dvarim begins, and I referenced this earlier, but Sefer Dvarim begins with the the generation of Jews, it's very similar to the beginning of of Bamidbar. Bamidbar is the you know Jews have come out of Egypt, and um and they're on the threshold of entering Eretz Israel. You know they got the Torah in Shmot. All of Vayikra, they're learning the Torah. Um, they're learning laws related to the Kohanim and Kedusha, Kedusha Hamakom, the holiness of a place, Kedusha Haguf, personal holiness, Kedusha Hazman, um, time that's holy. And then they're ready to go into Israel. And the beginning of, um, and this, this is the, the last part of their trip. You know, they were, Am Israel was established at Har Sinai, Torah Israel, and now Eretz Israel is the last piece of this journey for them. And they're about to go into Eretz Israel. And Moshe, you know, divides the camp at the beginning of Bamidbar, and they're all in their, you know, individual, um, according to tribes, they're all in their places, the Mishkan's in the middle, we're ready to do, go do Kibur Sha'aretz, the conquest of the lands, and, um, and then they get derailed, and then they send spies, and the spies come back with a negative report, and Hashem punishes them, and says that you can't go into the lands of Israel for the next 40 years, and that generation dies out in the Midbar. So now Dvarim begins, 40 years later, and 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 uh, I, I just have to point out that people don't realize that most of the Torah takes place in the one year that they were at Har Sinai. I feel like I just have to throw that out. They get to they get to they camp at Har Sinai in Shmot at the end of Bishalach. The rest of Shmot, Bishalach, Yitro, Mishpatim, Truma, Tzavik, Kitisav, Yagav, all of Vayikra, and then the beginning of Bamidbar. They're still at Har Sinai. And that's when Hashem says, okay, you've been at this mountain long enough, it's time to go. So they're about to go into Israel, then they get derailed, and, uh, and, and that's what happens. And, and then um, and they all die out, in the, that generation dies out. But Midbar begins where they're once again on the threshold of entering Eretz Israel, but this time it's the next, now it's the next generation. It's not the generation that were slaves, it's the next generation. And, um, 
And this generation, you know, there's a lot of interesting things in Bamidbar, and that's why it's called Mishnah Torah. The Moshe is repeating the Torah. I think Dvarim is one of the most dramatic books, um, which is funny because most people don't agree with me because it's mostly mitzvot. It's called Mishnah Torah, the review of Torah. Moshe is just reviewing Torah with Tibbene Israel. I think it's dramatic because of the backdrop, because of the setting. Moshe is dying. This is the last month of Moshe's life. He, he sinned at the end of Bamidbar and Pashat Chukat when he hit the rock. Instead of talking to the rock, that's not so black and white, but that's not that's for another time. And um, and he knows he's dying and he's desperate to give over whatever last minute messages that he can give over to B'nai Israel to ensure that not only do they get into Eretz Israel, unlike the previous generation, but that they maintain a relationship with Hashem and with Torah. And he knows he's not going to be there to lead them anymore. So I don't know if anyone's ever read the book, The Last Lecture. It's a popular book. And you, 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 you know good books. But um, uh, it was <laughs> yeah, written by a professor in, in Carnegie Mellon University called um, um, Professor Pausch, who was dying. And he taught a last semester. And then his students and his wife put together this book called The Last Lecture. And he knows he's dying. He's giving over, you know, whatever he's giving over in that last semester, he's giving over. He knows that that's going to be his legacy. He's giving over to his children, to his Talmudim, to his students. And um, anyway, so Lahavdil, Havdalot, but I feel like this is Moshe's last lecture. Like he he knows he's dying. He, you know, that's why everything important is in Dvarim. You know, I mean, like main fundamentals of Judaism is in Dvarim. In everything. I would say that. Everything. Eretz Yisrael. I would yes. say Eretz Yisrael. <laughs> right. 100%. 100%. Yichud Hashem. Shma, both paragraphs of Shema, like everything. And, um, and, so, so he, uh, and that's what the book is about. And that's why, you know, he spends the beginning of the book, Moshe, and this is all Moshe talking to Bnei Israel at the end of his life. And he's telling them, and that's why I think it's so dramatic because you, you feel the tension, you know, or the urgency, maybe not tension is the wrong word, but the urgency, Moshe's sense of urgency before he dies, that this is, they're going to stay connected to Hashem. And that's why the beginning of Dvarim, he talks to them about like, why are you still here? You should have been in Israel 40 years ago, but you're still here because of what happened previously. So he goes back and he talks about the past a little bit. And then in in, in um, Parakeh, he gives over the Esar Hadibrot for the second time. And he starts the review of Torah by giving over the Esar Hadibrot as an introduction and then goes into um, the Mishnah Torah, the review of Torah. And there's so many powerful parts of Dvarim where Moshe is, you know, urging B'nai Israel like this, you know, this relationship with Hashem and the relationship with Torah is really um, the key to a meaningful life. And that's why, and he wants to make sure that B'nai Israel realize that, that, that Hashem is always there for them. And that, you know, he spends a whole, uh, if you look at Perched, after he gives over the Asar, um, he, you know, he gets into the mitzvahs for like a little bit later on, like the beginning is really just general messaging. Um, oh, he constantly talks about, you know, you know, we're learning, I'm teaching you this so that we're learning this in order for you to do. This is not just an intellectual experience exercise. Yes, learning should be an intellectual exercise, but not only an intellectual exercise. It's a vehicle through which we can connect Hashem. Lomod Amanat Lasod, in order to do. And that's how I always say, like, Tanakh class, Bible classes at Yeshiva University are qualitatively different than Bible classes in other universities. You could take Bible in other universities. It's an intellectual, you know, it's the oldest book in the, in the history of man. But we teach it because it's a connection to Hashem. Because we're looking to connect to God. It doesn't mean it's less intellectual. Intellectually stimulating. But it's a way to connect to Hashem. So that's Moshe, Moshe's message. Um, at one point, one of my favorite psukim, he says, um, right after he gives over the uh, Sarhat Zibrot, 
And this is Peshat uh, is in Parakei, and then and oh, oh, before we get to one of my favorite sukkim in Chet, in Parakei he talks about you know don't forget what you know your trek in the midbar when you were in the desert and Hashem took care of you with the man and he gave you food from heaven. You're going to go into Eretz Israel. You're going to have this beautiful land. That's the famous description of Eretz Israel. you know, a, a place of, of, of waterfalls and, and clear water and, and food and, and the, and the seven minim and the Sheva minim. And, um, and he's, and you know, why is he talking about the trek in the midbar versus, you know, the description of Eretz Israel? And I think, again, the message is, the message that he's giving over to them is, you know, this is the generation that's going to go into Eretz Israel. Your relation, the Nitziv actually in the beginning of Bamibar talks about how there's a transition that takes place between the supernatural relationship with Hashem and the natural relationship with Hashem. And how in the Midbar, they, they knew that God was there because everything was supernatural. Now, the, the challenge is going to be once they get into Eretz Israel and they're out of the Midbar, the challenge is recognizing Hashem in the world in natural ways not in supernatural ways. And that's what Moshe, that's why it's so applicable to us. Moshe saying to them, you know, don't forget how you, how you survived in the desert. God sustained you. Well, guess what? God's also sustaining you when you get to Eretz Canaan, when Eretz Israel. The difference is in Eretz Israel, it's going to grow from your backyards. It's going to grow from the ground. But, but that's still from Hashem. It's just through natural means. When you do kibush ha'aretz, when you fight the wars of the Canaanim, you're, it's not supernatural. You're not beating your enemies supernaturally like, like the Egyptians were beaten through supernatural means. But it doesn't mean that Hashem is not, is not sustaining you and keeping you alive and, and, and there with you and helping you. And all of these are nisim. They're all miracles. They're just they're just hidden miracles. They're natural miracles. Like who's so who decides that you know fruit that comes from the ground is edible? Why is that different than man from Shamayim? They're, they're both from God. So one you can explain according to the laws of nature. Okay, but who made nature? I think about this a lot when I when I, you know, I've been to Tulim in Israel. Like you go to Engedi and you see this, you're in a desert, and then all of a sudden there's water coming out of a rock. Like that's what water coming out of a rock is. We had water coming out of the rocks in in, in the midbar. That was supernatural. What makes Engedi not supernatural? What makes waterfalls not supernatural? Okay, because you can explain it. I can't right now, but you can explain it according to nature. The na laws of nature allow the water. There's underwater, underground springs, whatever. There's ways to explain it in nature, but at the end of the day, it's water coming out of a rock that Hashem is doing either supernaturally or naturally. So that's the message that Moshe wants to make sure he gives over to B'nai Israel that Hashem is you need you need Hashem. Hashem is sustaining you. Hashem loves you. Hashem takes care of you. And don't think just because you 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 have Hashem's help through natural means, don't think that He's not there. Um, and that's why He reminds them of what it was like in the midbar. It's the same thing. Just one is supernatural, one is natural. One last thing, two last things. So then, um, um, one of my favorite psukim I was going to say before in uh, Parak Vav, right after, actually, no, there's Parak Yud, um, right after, soon after he gives over the Esar Hadibrod and he's about to go through the Mishnah Torah, the review of Torah, Moshe says, What does Hashem ask of you? Etc. He says only to have a relationship with Hashem, to love Him, to fear Him, to follow in His footsteps, um, to worship Him, to follow Him, worship Him with all your heart and all your soul, to follow the mitzvot and the chukim that He commands you, um, because it's good for you. And of course, you know all the mafarshim ask, like, is this a small thing? Like, like, is this 
Is this Vikimilta Zutrasahi? Says the Gemara, like, is this a small thing the way Moshe says? What does Hashem ask of you? You know, just to dedicate your life 24 7 to Hashem. And of course, Rashi there says the fact that he says Shoel Meimcha shows that everything is up to Hashem except for a relationship with Hashem. So all Hashem wants is to have a relationship with us. And um, and when he says it, Moshe says it in this way that it seems like a small thing, a let, whatever, there are a lot of Mepharshim that say different things. And they say, no, because it's Latovlach, because ultimately it's good for you. It doesn't mean it's not effortful. It takes effort. It's like a doctor saying, you want to stay healthy? All you need to do is lose 30 pounds, exercise daily, and don't eat things that are bad for you. Like, what? What do you mean all I need to do? But that's a way to get healthy, that the reward is so great. This is a step that, you know, these are steps. This, this is a recipe for healthy existence. And that's what Moshe is telling B'nai Israel in Sefer Tvarim. There's a God, you know, Hashem gives us a life. He says, here, you have 120 years. Make it meaningful. How do you do that? How do you make it meaningful? So Hashem gives us a 613-step recipe for a meaningful existence. And that's what he's teaching us. That's what he's teaching us in Sefer Dvarim. This is how to connect to Hashem. And that's why even when you're in the physical world, the natural world, you're not in the desert, you haven't come out of Mitzrayim. And this is, this is why we can relate to it. And that's why Moshe ends Dvarim by saying, um, you know, um, in Nitzavim, he says, you know, don't think that it's lo he, don't think that your relationship with God is so inaccessible, don't think that it's up in heaven or it's in the middle of the ocean, it's very close to you in your heart and in your, in your mouth and in your heart. And um, one of my favorite ideas here is the Gemara Brachos that says three words, Rava says, what do you mean it's close? What do you mean this is close to you? Rava says, Asumu adim make time to learn. You make time to learn. It doesn't have to be every day for hours and hours on end. You make time, whether it's once a day, once a week, once a month, five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, you know, a podcast like what you're doing not to listen to some Torah. Um, if you make time to learn, that's how you connect to Hashem. And I really think it's a very powerful safer and very inspiring. And I didn't get to do the Nitziv, but if you look at the Nitziv, this is a foundation of, it's okay, I, I covered Dvarim, but he says, he explains, you know, what we've explained that this is, this safer is so important because it reminds you to connect to Hashem. And he, and he says, it, it reminds you to connect to Hashem through sharpening your learning. Why do you have to review Torah? We just, you know, 40 years ago, they got the Torah. Why do you need to review it? Why do we need to review it? Why well, taught Torah for a long time? I've never learned with you and your constituents. Like, this is wonderful. And, you know, you hear, I'm sure, and you've listened to so many podcasts and everybody here has listened to podcasts and you're always learning new ideas. I'm always learning new ideas. I love learning with new audiences and new tell me don't and tell me dim and tell me don't because I'm always learning new stuff. And it teaches us to sharpen. Why do we sharpen our learning? Why can we learn an entire lifetime and constantly be learning new things and analyzing and trying to understand things? because we're connecting to Hashem. And that's ultimately what Moshe's message is. Um, in Dvarim, I'm going to review Torah with you, but it's not just the specifics of what I'm teaching you, but the process. It's the process of sharpening and learning and analyzing, because ultimately, why are we doing all this? We're doing this because we want to connect to Hashem, and this is how we connect to Hashem. So kola kavod for this podcast. Thank you for introducing me to this and for inviting me into your audience. And it's been fun learning with you thank you and that was a really really fundamental message which i really think so many if not all of our listeners are really going to connect to um and yeah once again learning torah is fundamental um and that pasuk is very important to me and i'm sure very important to everyone else and it really stands out 
Um, but yeah, the Torah is close to you, but also it's everywhere. Um, and there's so many ways to connect to it. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing really, really inspiring words of Torah. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.